Hey, Kathy, do you know what time of year it is? I do. It's the holiday season. Right. And this year, I'm planning ahead and stocking up on a gift that will cover all the readers and want-to-be readers in my life. Well, give us this great gift idea. Okay. It's our new Read Happy, the ultimate reading journal. And we designed it with our friends in mind, so it's perfect. Plus, it's available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, bookshop.org. And there are links on our website, gameofbookspodcast.com and journalhappy.com. Happy holidays. And happy reading. Welcome to GOB with Christy and Kathy, where we talk about writing, reading, and life in between. I'm Christy in South Florida. And I'm Kathy in South Dakota. We're two newbie writers who share our love of food, wine, and crime fiction. We have interviews with best-selling and award-winning authors on our Corks and Conversation episodes. And don't forget our Words and Progress episodes where we have fun writing lessons with writing experts. Join us for today's episode. Welcome to Corks and Conversation with Jeffrey Deaver. Yes, I am so excited to talk with him today. As you know, Kathy, I love his books, and I've attended his workshops, and I've heard him speak at a lot of conferences we both have. I know. I'm very, very pleased about this today. And uh, Jeff gives so much back to the crime fiction community. Um, He's got so much knowledge. He's always happy to share it. And so I'm excited to introduce him to our listeners today. Um, Jeffrey Deaver is an international, if you don't know, we're going to presume you know most of this, but we'll just remind (laughs) everybody. Um, He is an international number one best-selling author of more than 40 novels and lots of other short stories and other pieces, but we'll just focus on the novels today. He is a bestseller around the world. His books are sold in 150 countries, translated into 25 languages. He has served two terms as president of Mystery Writers of America he was recently named a Grandmaster of um, MWA, which is a really big deal in this community. Other writers who have had that honor are not very well-known people like Agatha Christie, <laughs> Mary Higgins Clark, and Walter Mosley. You also might know um, Jeff's books have been made into movies and a TV series, which we'll talk about. Um, his book featuring Lincoln Rhyme called The Bone Collector was made into a, a blockbuster movie with Denzel Washington, Angelina Jolie. Um, but today we're going to talk with Jeff about his latest novel. I'm holding it up if you're on YouTube. It is called Hunting Time, and it is the fourth in his Coulter Shaw book series. And you can um, see a new CBS series called The Never Game, named after one of the books in the Colton Shaw um, series. It comes out this spring, and it is starring Justin Hartley from This Is Us. Uh, he's going to play Coulter Shaw, so he's that's perfect. really exciting. I know, it's a perfect, perfect casting. I will, I will end my introduction here with this very succinctly well-put uh, statement from People Magazine. Jeffrey Deaver is the master of ticking bomb suspense. So, Jeff, welcome, and thank you for being here. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Thank you to both of you for that uh, wonderful introduction, those kind words. And it's good to see you both again, because our paths have crossed at various uh, writers' conventions over the years. So this is, uh, although we're meeting remotely, it's uh, just as much fun. Yeah. And a lot of times, I don't know if you knew this, but a lot of times we... um, share wine but since we're recording earlier in the day we've all got like our 
our coffee and yep. <laughs> diet diet ginger ale. So oh, okay. <laughs> I was like, that looked I mean, like I, white I wine got, for a minute. <laughs> I, I just got back from the uh, from the UK on a book tour there, so. Technically, it's five o'clock my time, but I'm still <laughs> going to stick with the ginger ale. For the time. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're yeah. Um, we're just happy to be here. And so, before we even get started, I'm going to tell everybody a little bit more about this book, The Hunting Time, and it's all around Coulter Shaw, as we mentioned. He's the main character. He's like was raised as a like a by survivalists, and so he is. He's a really cool character. He goes around helping find missing people. And in this book, he is tasked to find Allison Parker and her daughter, Hannah. And of course, there's a million twists and turns. We can't go into too much, but mm-hmm. um, Allison's being stalked by her ex-husband that's just released from jail. Um, she's also, there's international crime going on that she's involved um, in and she's also worried about Coulter Shaw who being after her so it lots of twists and turns loved loved the book loved the characters and I equally loved Lincoln Rhyme and then we we started looking at it we were like these characters couldn't be more like polar opposite because Lincoln Rhyme series is based in New York City And it's, you know, literally within his limited, Lincoln Rhymes character's limited um, abilities to to move around. And then we've got Colton Shaw, who's traveling all the time and in the, you know, unrestricted. So can you talk a little bit about how you ended up writing such different? Sure. Sure. And and thanks for that wonderful introduction, too. I... um... I'm a manufacturer of a product. I have no bone, make no bone saying this. Uh, I um, am like Procter and Gamble or General Motors or Ford. <laughs> I uh, and you know people say, oh, but you're an artist. Aren't we write books. You we have to be artists. Well, no, I'm sorry. It's a product. You know, Michelangelo, uh, Rembrandt, um, Mozart. You know, they they created products for clients. Paying clients, so mm-hmm. is it art? Is it commerce? Well, it's maybe both. It's a creative product. Mine is the same thing. It's a creative product. But I, I look at my audience, and the Lincoln Rhyme books are very popular. But they kind of fulfill the audience of someone who likes the intellectual puzzle, uh, who likes to see uh, Lincoln Rhyme, Sherlock Holmesian mind at work. Um, they all, all my books take place over a short period of time. They have lots of twists and turns and big surprise endings. That's a template for all of my books. So I guess we could say like all cars drive. They go forward and they go back. <laughs> um, but in the same way, uh, like I'm going to use the car analogy again, uh, they make car companies make off the road vehicles uh, and they make hybrid vehicles and they serve a different market, a different audience. Uh, they may. I just saw the movie Ford v Ferrari. The Ford oh. in those uh, races was very different from um, the Ford Edge that I have right now. Uh, so you <laughs> see the companies do that. Well, why should I be any different? I want to reach the broadest audience I can. So that means there are people who maybe don't like those intellectual puzzles. Uh, they mm-hmm. want to see an action, fast-paced action story. So I created Coulter Shaw, who is, as you say, somebody who travels around the country, kind of based on the old gunslinger from the movies I grew up with, the 1950s, the in 60s, the Sergio Leone films, 
uh, Clint Eastwood, the man with no, no name, fistful of dollars, or Shane, the mm-hmm. in the 1950s, the great, uh, a great uh, you know character, kind of a bad guy, but also a bad boy. But he solves the crime. He's working for the uh, the the oppressed uh, farm people, and uh, so so Coulter doesn't have a Palomino. He rides around on. He's got a Winnebago. He drives around in. He looks for rewards. And uh, his job is being a reward seeker. Now, that's something I made up. It doesn't exist, but it seems like it made sense to me. Uh, rewards offered by maybe parents for a missing child or uh, parents for a missing parent, a missing grandfather or grandmother, uh, mm-hmm. offered by police for a, a serial killer they can't track down, offered by uh, the government for terrorists. There's a On the books, the State Department has a $25 million reward for information leading to the whereabouts of a, uh, a terrorist they've identified. Uh, that's a, uh, you know, it's not the Powerball lottery, but it's not a, yeah. a small ch- not a small chunk of change. <laughs> and so Coulter pursues these uh, rewards, but it turns out, oh my God, he doesn't care about the money. Sometimes he even forgets to get the money. Why? Because <laughs> to him, a reward is about the challenge. If a reward is offered, it's because someone has not been able to solve the problem. They have not been able to find the bad guy, not been able to track down the serial killer who is eluding police. And uh, he needs that in his life. He's dubbed uh, as a child, the restless one. And that carries through to his present day. He's the restless man. And he has to uh, uh, has to travel around the country and try to solve these crimes. So what is he? I guess he's the off the road vehicle, uh, the four wheeler. <laughs> And a Lincoln Rhyme would be more of a uh, stable, uh, you know, Lincoln SUV, if you want to put it uh, <laughs> that way. And I want to pick up as much of the market as I uh, as I possibly can. So it's, you know, I get great pleasure out of pleasing my my readers. That's what this is all about for me. It's also all about making sure readers have something they enjoy. Mm-hmm. Well, so- you must have had to do a lot of different kind of research. <laughs> I, oh, uh, yeah, yeah, I do. Research is very important. And I, we can talk a little bit later about my organizing and planning the book, but research, uh, people love to le- love to learn esoteric facts about things. Um, in The Never Game, that's the book that's going to be the CBS TV show set in Silicon Valley. Uh, I uh, teach people a lot about the history of uh, where video games came from and the, uh, the fight between uh, like Nintendo and Atari and the various uh, other companies, <laughs> Sega and Genesis. Um, in, uh, uh, but in this book, in Hunting uh, Time, we learned a lot about portable, believe it or not, nuclear reactors. I didn't know there was such a thing, but that's important. We learned a lot about <laughs> a survival scary. skills. <laughs> yeah. uh, in Lincoln Rhyme books, the new Lincoln Rhyme book I'm working on, we learn about uh, construction and the dangers of construction. And if a terrorist wanted to pick a construction site to use as a terrorist weapon, uh, what he or she could do. Um, Do I do personal research? Uh, Not so much. Uh, A, I'm a coward. And (laughs) I was going to say, Coulter's uh, life is pretty risky, I would think. uh, I'll I'll tell you, maybe you all can help me out and your listeners can (laughs) help me out with this or viewers can. Uh, Coulter Shaw is a, a rock climber, mountain climber. And that's one of the ways the restless man gets his uh, his thrills. And he, of course, has to repel down cliff faces. And if you don't know what that is, you hook a, a rope to a tree or something at the top. And then you have a rope kind of wrapped around your 
your waist with this metallic buckle that you can use it as a brake and you lower yourself to the ground. Huh, I should write about that from a source of experience. So I went to the source of all uh, products that I have bought in the last few years, aside from books, where I get at independent bookstores, I will add quickly, but um, Amazon, and I bought an abseiling and repelling set. That's rope and the belt and the, the little buckle that you can hook up and lower yourself down. And so I um, hooked it up to my back porch, which is seven <laughs> feet off the ground, and turned it around and kind of leaned backwards. And it held me. You know, I mean, the worst that's going to happen, I'm going to fall into a, a boxwood plant. I wasn't too worried. But, but then I thought, I started it and I said, no way in hell, I'm not doing this. <laughs> I, I, I pulled myself back up and said, I can write about it from my imagination. Where can you and, and your viewers help me? If you want to buy an unused <laughs> set, just just get get to me through my website. JeffreyDeaver.com. At, at, at a discount. Don't worry. <laughs> That's great. I love that. I um the last Lincoln rhyme was all about locks, mm -hmm. which I loved. I studied that book, by the way. I read it and tore it apart. And oh, um, so I just I I did. That's how I you had given that advice once at a at a conference. Like that's a great way to learn how to do commercial fiction, and that was a book I most recently did. Um, but the information in that book about locks was so fascinating and unnerving. That's the book called The Midnight Lock, and uh, just yeah. very briefly about that. This fellow, who is, um, I don't want to give too much away, of course, but let's just say that because of his obsession with the internet, he has become very introspective and has skewed values. Let's put it that way. Hmm. And uh, what he what he does is he, he has studied every lock that ever existed. I don't mean the electronic locks, you know, on doors and your, your doorbell and things like that, which a 13 year old could hack into, you know, while he's also playing video games with his other hand. <laughs> I don't mean those kinds of locks. I mean, real locks, the metal locks that you need a key for. And he's become obsessed with these. And there's kind of a romance to it, in fact. Um, there are lock-picking conventions where people compete, compete. And so, okay, you're thinking, he's a serial killer. He breaks into your uh, apartment house and slashes you to death, uh, ties you up and takes you to the cellar. No, what he does is he breaks in after midnight, the title, The Midnight Lock, of course. And what does he do? Pulls up a chair next to your bedside, eats a ham sandwich from ingredients he's taken from your refrigerator, has a glass of your wine, and watches you. And then so he creepy. leaves. And that to me was far more terrifying uh, than than the serial killer uh, thing because, you know, serial killers exist. They're very rare actually in real life, despite what mm -hmm. we see in books and on TV. They're, it's quite a rare psychopathology. But um, we know a lot of people who probably want to come into our bedrooms and sit down and just watch us. Uh, you know, maybe fellow workers, people we cut off on the highway, get angry with us and so no there's much more to the book than that of course and yeah. and the fact that he does this allows other things to happen but uh, uh i just i, I just love that idea yeah I, I just got back from staying in an airbnb and i swear the first night i was there i was like should i look around is there a way to find out if there's like cameras here because i was by myself yeah. and i was thinking they're it, just they could be just watching me mm -hmm. christine answer your question yes 
You don't even need to say, are there? Yes, of course there are. And I don't know about Airbnb specifically, but, you know, there are, uh, you know, so many rentals have uh, video cameras, uh, many of them hidden. You know, it's easy to to hide these high definition cameras. And uh, I just assumed, actually, nowadays, you can pretty much assume you're being watched. I wonder if there's an app that you can go around and like... Yeah, there are. If they're wireless, there are. If they're hardwired... Oh. into a, uh, a, you know, a, a, a recorder. No. I mean, there's always the pickaxe, but then you've got to pay for the, <laughs> the walls. So, you know, you kind of, you kind of, this is a them, nice house. I don't want to like break in, break <laughs> up their house. I think, I think with Airbnb, you're probably safe. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So let's, we're about midway. Let's take a little, uh, a refresher. If we have we're drinking wine, we'd have a little wine. Okay, um, Christy's going to ask you a wild question that we call the question in the bottle. Okay. If you had a choice, which human necessity would you rather give up, eating or sleeping? Oh, sleeping. <laughs> that, <laughs> really? That, 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 that required nothing. Yes, because I love to eat. Uh, I like to cook. It's a, um, um, for me, it's a tension reliever. I like dinner parties. Um, I've cooked, uh, well, I'm 72 years old. I started cooking. I've probably been cooking for six, almost 60 years now. Um I grew up in a household um, where uh, we didn't have gourmet food. We had good solid food, and I learned how to cook the basics, how to make a roux, R-O-U-X. It's, oh, uh-huh. it's butter, butter and flour mixed together, cooked hot liquid added to it to make gravy or a sauce. I learned how to, um, uh, you know, you can't have any bit of egg yolk in the, the pan. Uh, if you're uh, the bowl, if you want to whip egg whites, uh, if you're going to whip cream, it has to be a cold bowl. Little things like that I, I learned, and uh, I just loved it. And, uh, of course, during COVID, we all had our various uh, vices. I gained weight. I mean, who did it during COVID? Of <laughs> yeah. course, that happened. But um, nothing else to do, actually. So, uh, yeah, I would do that. Sleep is overrated. I mean, you try it, and it, you have to do it all over again. So I yeah. to, to get sleep out of there. <laughs> I totally agree. I, Kathy, you're probably the same way. I mean, I was you actually, really like your chi- sleep, though? I, me, I half the time don't sleep anyway, and I'm all annoyed right, with exactly. it. So if if yeah. if I could just not have to worry about it, then I'd be happier, I think. And I'd eat a lot more. <laughs> yeah, you'd eat more. Yeah. Eating is more. I mean, I love eating, too. We both love to cook. Christy and I both do. But I feel like sleep is like the first thing I say to my husband in the morning, how'd you sleep? Like it's our, a big right, source yeah. of conversation, right? Like, did you sleep well? Is that going to affect your day? So I think if I could get good sleep, like a consistent good sleep, I might right. pick sleep. I don't know. Anyway. Well, I, yeah, I actually don't trust sleep because it wakes me up. Well, I mean, also being 72, we don't need to go into the details, but I wake up a couple <laughs> of times at night. So yeah. that's just that's just the way it is. And mm-hmm. uh then, uh, you know, when that happens, quite interesting, uh, this has happened for a few years now, uh, you remember your dreams because that's the REM period. And uh, I, I've never had a uh, uh, never had an inspiration for a book in a dream. I think they really are kind of just random recyclings. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I don't trust Freud. Sometimes a dream is just a dream. You know, there's nothing yeah. more to it than that. Uh, but they can be quite interesting uh, experiences uh, and very, very vivid. So I kind of enjoy that but then again I, I then i'm kind of tired and cranky and i go back to sleep maybe i don't so but you yeah. know a ham sandwich uh with cheese never disappoints i was just gonna say it never lets you down does it isn't that interesting i never 
would have thought this. Is the, I love these conversations because I would have never compared these two things in any other circumstance in my day. But <laughs> you're right. Food never lets us down. Sleep can constantly do that. <laughs> exactly. Okay, so I um, back to the more serious stuff. So Jeff, you, I, you have said many times at different conferences or interviews that you write for your readers, and you talked about it earlier today mm-hmm. that. Your job is to entertain readers. And I, I love that clarity. And I'm wondering if you always had that notion or did you come to that? And if so, what made you realize that? Sure. I, um, I've written, again, like four, probably 45 novels, 90 short stories or so. I've been doing this for a long time. Um, I, I left practicing law in 1989, I guess it was to write full-time. Actually, I was a legal editor at that point. I, I was not practicing. And I'd written about six books at that point. And write full-time, love it. But my first books, uh, some were nominated for awards. They had a popular following, but they didn't sell particularly well. And to me, sales are indicative of uh, success. That's nothing wrong with that. If product is successful, if right. more people want it. And uh, I wondered why, why was that? And when I, so I went back and reread my first five or six books and I saw that they certainly had some, some wonderful elements to them, but they were kind of written for me. They were a bit self-indulgent. I remember one book had a, a long chapter basically on New York history that had nothing to do with the, for the plot. It was interesting. <laughs> it was well-written. I, I can just objectively <laughs> say it was well written. It had nothing to do with the plot. What the hell was that doing in a, a mystery, a fast-paced mystery novel? And so that was a lesson to me. And it said, you know what? I have to take myself out of the equation entirely. And because in reviewing those five or six books, I outlined them, just wrote down chapter one, what happened, chapter two, what happened. And I took a look at it and saw that uh, I'd missed the mark on, on, on some things. Uh, I had uh, those digressive chapters. I had anticipated a um, revealing a bad guy's identity so readers could figure that out. I, uh, I, I fumbled with a twist and turn. I had an opportunity for a twist that I, I didn't even uh, pick up on. And so that told me, well, outline the book first. Identify all that in the outline. And that's what I did. And the first book I did that with was called Praying for Sleep. And it became my first big book, the first one that sold quite well. <clears throat> so... That is for the readers. And how does that translate? Well, you kind of have to take my uh, my course to understand all the ways that uh, you write for your reader. I mean, some examples are um, you write suspense. You don't put gore in the books. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. an extended autopsy scene uh, does not enhance the experience of the book. That's written for the author. Why for the author? Not because the author is sadomasochistic. It's because the <laughs> author can't figure out a way to write suspense. Suspense is hard. Alfred Hitchcock did did suspense. You know, uh, he, he set it up very slowly. I try to do that. Um, and uh, I mean, gore, excessive gore is a creative failure. Um, you know, you don't give away uh, ideas uh, where the book's going to go. You know, you don't write, um, well, he jumped into his car, uh, speeding and, and sped up to 70 miles an hour, never realizing that he would never make it to Miami alive. Well, okay, well, now we know he's we know he's dead. All right, close well, the book. Right. We're done. Or, 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 yeah, exactly. So what you do is you say, he jumped into his car uh, heading south, uh, sped up to 70 miles an hour, 
aware of a strange vibration in the steering column that he never helped, helped, felt before. Bang, end of chapter, go on to something else. A reader will turn will turn pages, I guarantee that. That's mm -hmm. for the reader. And I mean, there are hundreds of other uh, uh, other things. That's, you know, I have two hours worth of them in my <laughs> uh, in my course and other speeches. You can find many of them online, of course. Uh, and uh, it's you can Google, of course, Google does it. Go to my website, you know, that'll direct you to various things. But yeah. yes, you write for readers. We do this because of them. We're able to write fiction and tell stories because of them. We owe readers everything. Yeah. Yeah, you you know, you touched on um, where you when you started outlining, because we we know from previous times that you're a big outliner um, from your courses. And I and I have this book, your chapter oh, yeah. in the book. Um, it's called How to Write a Mystery. It's a bunch yeah. of different authors, crime fiction kind of telling, you know, giving writers advice and, and yours is always outline right. and um and i'm i kathy is an outliner and i haven't notoriously been we're both you know kind of newbie writers and but i really found that chapter so fascinating because you literally go into detail on how you do it because in my mind i was thinking oh man you know but the part i really like that i think i could adopt as a pantser to help me is that whole sticky notes on the wall yeah, sure and moving those around and you do that for a lot of months before yeah, you yeah, even start writing so six, six or eight months yeah so what it, you probably i'm wondering kind of do you you're still writing every day though right well yeah i i can uh yeah i do a book a year and about three or four short stories a year um i can write the prose from a book i outlined a year ago or you know Eight months ago, um, and and then I can outline another book at the same time I'm writing the prose. Okay, that's I can what I was write wondering. the prose for two books because the characters jump. Back, I get confused and the characters jump back and forth. I cannot outline two books at the same time. But l let me say this about to the pantsers out there: these books are about structure. You know, they're about pacing. Uh, you cannot have uh, three exciting car chase scenes one right after another, or they lose the impact. You cannot have three introspective. Uh, romantic uh, lovers lying in bed uh, talking about uh, the future scenes because you get bored. The books have to be roller coasters. And you can do it as a pantser. You start out and you've got a scene and you uh, then you come up with another scene. So you've got an exciting scene, then kind of a low-key scene, a uh, you know reflective scene, and then you have another exciting scene. And at some point, you've got to figure out what those scenes are and mm -hmm. where they're ultimately going to take you. Well, whether you do it in the prose stage, do it by banging out scene after scene on a computer, getting uh, writing 30-page chapter or 30-page chapter or 10-page chapter, 10-page chapter, one right after another, whether you do it then or to, uh, uh, the, the, the bulletin board with post-it notes uh, doesn't, doesn't really matter. It's just easier to do with the post-it notes because you, you're not, you come to, let, let's say, let's call the post-it notes represent a chapter, mm -hmm. chapter five on the post-it notes you've written as a pantser through chapter five. Okay. You've got 150 pages of prose. All right. And then you're looking at the board and say, Oh no, 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 no. I, I, I kill Fred here. And we, we didn't meet Fred in chapter two. Well, we need to know who Fred is. So you take down the post-it note and say, add Fred, put the post-it note back up. And then you keep going. 
and you do this to the whole book. You rearrange the post-it notes. I'm probably making all your your viewers dizzy now by doing this. But you <laughs> um, you, you do the uh, you get the post-it notes uh, in the order that you want. Finally, after a month or two, then you you transfer to the computer because then you you start fleshing out your outline. And my out hunting time outline was about 150 pages long, uh, and that has research notes in it too. But it's it's quite extensive. Um, but you see how much easier and more efficient it is. You've got to come up with the plot somehow. Uh, I just find it easier and actually more fun mm -hmm. to do with the post-it notes because it's it's kind of just coming up with the idea. And then I yeah. pace and I think, well, where am I going to kill somebody? I'll put that post-it note right in the middle. I'm going to kill somebody there. And the clue, I need the clue. Mustard is the clue. Lincoln finds out the, the killer because of mustard. Uh, okay, where's the clue go? Okay, right up here in scene 2A, I put a little post-it note that says mustard on it. I just find it more efficient. Funny about that book, which was great fun to participate in. And I think, uh, you know, I, I, at this stage, this is, it sounds egotistical, but it's just luck of the uh, the odds. Uh, I've written, again, all those novels. I've been doing this for, you know, 40 years. I've, I've won some awards and that's wonderful. Been nominated <laughs> for some awards. But I have never won an Anthony and never won uh, an Agatha. Uh, and, uh, but yes, I have. Why? Because that book uh, has won an oh. Agatha and an Anthony. So I, I can say in my bio now, I say, you know, um, uh, all the awards that I've won, ITW Novel of the Year, foreign awards, and then Anthony <laughs> and Agatha with an asterisk. But it's fine. Cause, and then you look down and the really fine print says 180th of, <laughs> because there were 80 of us in the book. But you know what? Nobody reads footnotes so it doesn't oh matter. yeah no that's so, perfect but anyway, i know in that book it was fun i wrote the chapter this was kind of a tongue-in-cheek thing we did um i wrote the chapter always outline and lee child is right after me never outline and <laughs> exactly. he is a never never outliner he's a pantser and you know what if he keeps at this business someday he's going to be successful <laughs> i know i'm I worried about him <laughs> I, I wish him the best of luck that jack Reacher. That Jack Reacher character, I don't yeah. know about him, but... <laughs> I don't either. We talked to Lisa Unger on our episode, and she's also very much a pantser. Uh -huh. And, you know, we mentioned the fact that, you know, you guys are opposites. And I'm, I'm like picturing myself, you know, you and Lee Child and Lisa Unger sitting around mm -hmm. over a glass of wine. I'm like, do they get into discussions about it? Or is, <laughs> is it like politics and they stay away? I, I'll tell you what, I propose, you know, the world is divided into writers, uh, pantsers and plotsers. Pantsers is the seat of the pants. Plotsers is outliners i have proposed dodgeball uh <laughs> it, 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 it you know if we ever have to appear at a school gym sometime you know maybe a benefit <laughs> for uh literacy at a school i, I want to get a dodgeball game going. oh that's funny awesome. that would be fun this group over here and this group over here and that would be hilarious and I'm, I'm so i'm it. so so unathletic i would i'm sure i would throw it at you know hit my teammate in front of me bounce <laughs> off whack me in the forehead and i'm out i'd I'd, uh, I'd, I'd kick myself out of the game. Well, so, us pantsers yeah. are much more athletic. <laughs> mm. well, yeah, well, that, well, you know why? That's because you lose your temper. You pick up your computer and throw it across the... Uh... Right, and you go, what have I been wasting my time <laughs> yeah. doing? Oh, no. Exactly. I'm stuck. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Okay. Anyway. We are a little bit foodies ourselves, uh, so we always yeah. like to ask the authors, um, which of your characters would you like to share a meal with, and what would it be? Mm. Sure. Curiously, as much as I love food, and again, I've cooked ever since I was a, a kid, you know, I, have, I don't know, 40, 50 cookbooks. But curiously, food does not figure much 
in my books. And the reason, <laughs> they ju- don't just have like, time. well, no, that's exactly right. That's exactly the answer. The, and I have had people come up to me and say, uh, I'm going to just put it delicately, uh, Jeff, how come there, there are no intimate relations in your your books? Uh, and I say, well, frankly, nobody has time um, <laughs> because um, it would have to be largely gratuitous. Uh, you know, okay, frankly, I'll just say a sex scene. You know, these show these are mm-hmm. in books. This is very real, I, and uh, it's a part of life, and it's a part of fiction. But for me to put a um, a sex scene or a scene of a uh, people sitting down to a uh, a very um, realistic meal would uh, detract from the the pace. As I say, your timeline book. is so tight; they don't have time to do anything. They, they other don't. Than they don't have run. time. Yeah. Now, apparently they can eat ham sandwiches while they're watching they, they can people. They eat ham sandwiches, yeah. yeah they can. I will ham. say, I do remember in, I think in the Midnight Lock, the um, assistant that works huh? with, uh, yes, he brought cookies believe, he, he does. to he the bakes. table one day. He bakes, he bakes. I cannot believe I remember that. But, no, it, that's true. Well, he, he bakes uh, cookies and brownies uh, quite a bit. Um, mm-hmm. Coulter, um, Coulter Shaw likes his coffee and... Mm-hmm. Uh, he likes his his beer, but but essentially to have an elaborate meal, there was a. Um, it, I mean, if you make it part of your your book, like uh, uh, Spencer, the Spencer books, uh, Robert B. Parker, uh, he, he, there was always a meal involved. I think Susan was his girlfriend. I, I actually haven't read them for many years, but but there's always a meal involved, and that's what people look forward to. You know, it's like at the end of Blue Bloods, the dinner where they all mm-hmm. sit together. Yeah. That's that's a phenomenon, but. Um, for for me, there just really um, isn't the time now. Uh, I, oh wait, on second thought, I, let me uh, just say. Well, see, but book, now this is, doesn't have to be during your book. You can have a dinner well, anytime. No, this is with during the, the book. This is during okay. the book. My book, the the um, uh, the kill room. My villain was a. It was not a a chef, professional chef. He was an avid amateur cook, though, brilliant cook, and uh, he had um, he cooked in the in the. Um, Meals or uh, various characters or for himself, largely for himself. In the book, uh, he used his, uh, I get get up and find them now, but I have a set of very nice Japanese uh, filleting knives, which I, I bought in, in oh. Japan. I mean, they're razor sharp. Very. I actually wear gloves when I, I cook with them because they're, they're so sharp. Uh, but um, he used those as murder weapons. And um, so that was a, 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 fun, uh, a fun thing. But... Okay, I thought, well, so I like to cook. Yes, I have uh, written original recipes that appear in the book. And those are at the end of the book, The Kill Room. Uh, They're recipes I have made, uh, except with one exception. And the one exception is a dessert that was served on Titanic two hours before the ship went down. Because... That figured into the uh, into the plot. So go to go to my website too, jeffreybeaver.com, awesome. and I think I have uh, I have videos of me cooking some things on YouTube. You can go Jeffrey Deaver recipes or cooking, uh, but the Kill Room does have food. So uh, thank you for reminding you me of that. When you there write you forty-five go. books, you know things leave you your brain. So. Well, I mean, I figure you probably I, I've seen on social media you've been um, going to Italy a lot. Yeah, yeah. The food there is good. Oh yeah, yeah, that sounds yeah. wonderful. Yeah, I just got just got back from Italy and ate my way uh, through it. There's, uh, I've never had a bad meal in in Italy, and uh, I have to kind of watch it because you know when I go there, I, on the 
you know, it's hard to think of myself as a celebrity, but I'm, I'll go to a town and I'm the author appearing at a bookstore and there'll be a lot of, a lot of readers in Italy. I'll have four or 500 people at the, the book event. Wow. And that's, uh, uh, you know, hosted by a, a bookstore, the bookstore owner will, or a festival, they'll take me to a nice restaurant where the chef has made a special meal for the American author. Oh. And I have had to learn to say no. Because I cannot eat seven meals at 10 or 11 o'clock at night when these events are over. <laughs> and I, at first, I was very uh, concerned that I would be offending them. But I say, I try a bite and say, it's very good. Uh, may throw uh, may, it. You know, there's too much here. I think I may have just said too much dog. But uh, you get the idea. <laughs> but too, I, my Italian is pretty bad. But, but too much food. Too much food. But it's wonderful. And so, uh, but I love everything there. And, uh, you know, everywhere has good good food. It's one of the joys of book touring now that we're mm -hmm. back to book touring. And, yes. and uh, if, if any of you want to go to, I think you were going to ask, forgive me for jumping ahead, but uh, mm -hmm. if you want to know where I, I will be appearing uh, on, on book tour, go to jeffreydeaver.com. Or you can try this thing called Twitter at Jeffrey Deaver. I don't know <laughs> if it's still going to be there. I was going to say, are you sure? Not, I should come up with I should come up with a new handle that's like at Jeffrey Deaver slash Elon Musk because <laughs> apparently you can pay your eight dollars and get whatever handle you want. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, apparently that's a thing now. Yes. All oh, right. Oh my. Well, well this is joy. Been, yeah, yeah. This has been great. Always Thank you fun. so well, my, much. My new Lincoln Rhyme book will be out next year. Uh, title reveal later. I'm not going to say, th say anything about it. So let's do this again. If I don't, uh, if our paths right. cross, absolutely. It, Thank conference. you. Okay. All right, wonderful. Bye-bye now. Thanks, Thanks. a lot. Bye. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. Subscribe to our podcast on our website, gameofbookspodcast.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you liked what you heard, you can give us a five-star rating or review. You can also subscribe on YouTube where you can watch and listen. On GameOfBooksPodcast.com, you can find all the information about what we talked about on this episode. And you can sign up for our newsletter and enter our fun contests and giveaways. We also post our stories and links on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Hope to see you there. I can guarantee you that we had fun today. And we hope you did too. Cheers.